literally told me, she goes, you know, you focus too much on being adopted mm. and you ask too many questions. And I'm like, but I am adopted. It is who I am. I had no information about myself for 30 years and you think I'm not going to ask questions? Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and on today's show is Jennifer. She called me from Wellsburg, West Virginia, where she's a caregiver for the elderly. Jennifer is transracially adopted, but I have to admit, not in the way I usually think of that kind of adoption. She stood out in her family, and her family stood out in their community. Jen shared that she was completely close to looking for her birth relatives until she got some stark examples of the importance of knowing your family's medical history. When she found her birth family, one of her gut feelings about her birth mother during her search was confirmed. But she also learned a crazy, cruel irony about her high school past. In the end, Jen experienced a secondary rejection from her birth family after she made a mistake at a huge family function. As you listen, decide for yourself what you think the factors were in that rejection. Was that misstep as major as her family made it seem? Or were the history of guilt about hiding the truth or even the early onset of mental illness also factors? This is Jen's journey. Jennifer's adoptive father's relatives are from Spain, and he grew up in Pittsburgh. He got a PhD in chemistry, then took a job with a pharmaceutical company working for a while in Mexico City. Her adopted mom was her father's secretary there. They fell in love, and her mother got pregnant immediately, giving birth to Jen's older sister. Then her father took a job back in Pittsburgh, so he moved his young family back to Pennsylvania. Jennifer's mother wanted a big family, but after several miscarriages and her husband's health problems, they were starting to settle into the notion that it would just be the three of them. Our neighbor, who was a nurse, she, I don't know the connection here, exact details, and she has since passed away, so I can't ask her, but she somehow knew the doctor who delivered me, who was my birth mother's doctor. He worked at Allegheny General Hospital in Pittsburgh, and his name was Dr. Bell, and he was known for, and I'll say in the air quotes, helping girls in trouble. So she had mentioned this to my parents, you know, that there's these babies up for, you know, adoption eventually, and would you be interested? And my parents thought about it and all said, okay. Jennifer's parents didn't hear anything back for a while. Then they received a phone call. They were informed that there were a couple of different babies available for adoption, and her parents should go have a look. Jennifer told me the viewing of babies like their puppies has always been a sore spot with her. When her parents arrived, the recently born babies had families already, so they went home. Sometime later, and I, I only know this story because I heard my mom tell it so often, my mom says her and my dad were in the dining room painting, she was up on the ladder, and the phone rings. And she heard my dad on the phone, he goes, well, you better tell her. He hands the phone to my mom, and um, our neighbor who was a nurse said, um, there was a baby girl born this morning, and she's yours if you want her. Hmm. And my mom said immediately, yes, and her hands were shaking, da, 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 and they went and dropped everything and went to the hospital, and, and she was able to hold me that first day. Her mom dressed her at the hospital that very first day, but Jennifer had to stay in the hospital for a week. Among other issues, her mother tried to hide her pregnancy, but her methods caused problems for Jennifer's development in her womb. Because she, she wore a girdle while she was pregnant, my right foot was bent in such a way that my toes were touching my shin. Mm. So they had to do x-rays and put a cast on my foot and that kind of stuff to correct it. So yeah, my parents brought me home a week later and my sister, my their biological daughter is nine years older than me. Okay. And, you know, so it was like all of a sudden they had to prepare for a baby. As far as I know, everybody in the neighborhood knew I was adopted and I am of European descent. I am blonde, I am as pale as you get, <laughs> freckles, <laughs> so obviously I'm not Latino. And um, and your your father was so, of what nationality? Know, he was Spanish, mm -hmm. So and he had black hair and dark skin and brown eyes, and my mom had brown hair and brown eyes. 
Jen says that there was such an age gap with her and her sister that there was no sibling rivalry. They just weren't the same age to be in contention with one another. When Jen was starting school, her mother pulled her aside to have a conversation about adoption. So when I started kindergarten, um, I think my mom was worried that I didn't know I was adopted, even though it was never a secret. So she kind of um, like had to, I guess in her way, she was like reminding me, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a very vivid memory of this. Um, I was about six years old, five or six. She was like, well, honey, you know that, you know, you're adopted. And I, I must have asked her, what does that mean? And she said, well, I'm not your real mom. You know, your mom couldn't keep you. And the only information we had all my life was that they were teenagers from the North Hills of Pittsburgh. That's that's all we knew. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a tantrum. like, And I wasn't one of those kids that would do that. Mm. But I can remember kicking and screaming and saying, where's my mom? Why doesn't she want me? I want my real mom and all this. And I can't even imagine how painful that must have been for my adoptive mom, you know, to, to, to see me going through that. But I, I did. And uh, it was hard. It was a really emotional time. Yeah, you know? I'll bet. I'll bet. I mean, it's, a, it's great that she told you. It's and you did mm-hmm. grow up with the knowledge, but you know that's a volatile time there where a child is starting school. They're already sort of going to be in a place of comparing themselves to other children, and then they get this huge piece mm-hmm. of news dropped on them. Jen's mom was afraid one of the children in her school was going to spring the news that she was adopted on her. Jen says her neighborhood was an upper class white collar enclave, so. Their family was the minority because there were nearly no families of color, and her adoption was well-known. She talked about her relationship with her adopted parents. My dad, he had a lot of issues. Are you aware of that, the elephant man? You've heard that story, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. My dad had two of the three ailments that he had. Um, One is called acromegaly, which means enlarged extremities, and then fibrous dysplasia, which he would get like fibrous growths of calcium in different parts of his body. So he was disfigured. He had a very large head, large hands, large mm-hmm. head, uh, or feet. His head wasn't shaped quite right. And he had to go multiple through multiple surgeries when I was a little kid and stuff. But like my dad was my hero. He was my go-to. I never really had the bond with my mom that most, I mean, I don't know if it's primal wound caused or what. My mom and I were like oil and water. Really? Um, my dad and I would have these fantastic conversations and, 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 you know, he was just, he was my rock. Mm-hmm. And my mom and I just butted heads. When Jen was 14, her sister, who was 23, got married and moved away. That left Jen and her parents at home together. She said that as an adoptee in adolescence, she leaned toward being the people-pleasing child, not really acting out. But I had this angry, anger in me that I didn't understand. And I was really, really, really angry at my birth mother when I was a kid. I mean, really angry. Like, from that tantrum that I had, I held on to that all through my adolescence. Yeah, I was going to ask if it ever subsided. No. So, I mean, it has now, as I grew up and I learned about her. I did. I was very angry. And then because of my family being so different from me, I always felt the need to explain it. So, like, because something would come up about Mexican stuff, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, my mom's Mexican. Immediately, people look at you like you got an eye in the middle of your forehead, like, huh? How's that happen? Yeah. You know, because I'm blonde. And so it would, I, I had this defense mechanism, and I would immediately say, because I got tired of the questions people would ask, I would just fire every, it was rapid fire, like my defense mechanism. And I would say, yeah, my parents, my mom's Mexican, my dad's Spanish. No, you know, I'm adopted. No, I don't know where my mother is. No, I don't want to know where she is. Mm-hmm. I don't care. She didn't want me, so why should I care about her? And, I, and that was like, blam, blam, blam. And that way it would be the end of it. People wouldn't ask any more questions about my adoption, and that was it. And that was how I dealt with it for a really long time. So I asked Jennifer, what the turning point was for her to change her mind about searching for her biological family. She said things changed in 1990 when her father passed away. She, her mother, 
and grandmother took care of him for nine months until he lost his battle with cancer. Immediately after, his mother developed leukemia and moved in with Jennifer and her mother until she passed. So Jen's sister, their biological child, had a solid knowledge of her cancer risks, but Jen knew nothing about her medical predispositions. She took me back to her childhood, where she explained that her growth was stunted. With no family medical history, she had to go see specialists about her development. Because my growth was stunted, I had to go to this growth hormone specialist every six months and get x-rays and have blood drawn, and then they look to see if you've got breast buds forming or, you know, look in your underwear to see if you've got anything else like puberty-wise, and they check you all over, and it's very violating to tell you the truth when you're a little kid. I hated it. I hated it. And I was going to start growth hormone treatment. And um, in the summer between fifth and sixth grade, there was like this, if she doesn't grow, you know, an inch and a half over the summer, then we're going to start her on treatment. And I sprung up two inches in the summer. Wow. They said I was afraid of the needles and it yeah. scared me into growing. But anyway, that was a whole, that medical background thing, really, I mean, is what, you know, got me started on the path to even being open because I had been so closed off to it. In 1994, her sister and fiancé were back in town. Jen was at their place watching the Maury Povich show on television. You may remember, the talk show did a lot of reunions of family members, but Jen had never seen one of those episodes before. As she watched, Maury Povich told the backstory of his guest. Then he said, Well, we have someone here for you, uh, to, to meet you. And they brought out her natural mother. And I'm sitting there watching this with tears just streaming down my face mm. and watching them hug each other. Sorry, I get tripped up about this. Okay. watching them hug each other and I'm sitting there and I'm watching these two women sitting beside each other and I'm just analyzing everything and they've got these similar features and the way they move is similar and um, I was just like really moved by it and then the birth mother says to her daughter she says I never stopped thinking about you and that's where I was like, wow, you know, maybe my mother's thinking about me too. At the end of the show, they listed online reunion registries for people to enter their personal information. Jen jumped on her sister's computer and stayed there for hours. I was so fascinated by how many people were out there looking. She kept going back to her sister's place, staying for hours at a time, hunting online for different reunion registries entering her own information in each one, and searching for info that other people had entered that could have matched with her. In 1999, after five years of searching, Jen had a bad feeling about her search. I don't know if it was gut feeling or what, but I started saying, if she's not out there looking for me, she must be dead. And that was just the feeling I had. So Jen has shared how she had a tantrum as a child when she learned she was adopted and that she had deep-seated anger as a teenager. She shares a little bit about how her adopted mom felt about her search. My adoptive mom was not crazy about me searching at the beginning. Um, yeah. I had asked her to get my adoption records a few times, and she was real hesitant about it until I made a point and was like, I, I need these. You know, they're mine. Yeah. I'm an adult. I want to know, you know, what's in them, and, you know, could you please get them? And she worked right next to the bank. She kept saying, oh, I forgot. And I'm like, really? And it wasn't until like this one day I flipped out on her um, because she wasn't, I couldn't get through to her how important this was to me. Right. And I said, look, you're still my mom. You have always been my mom. You know, at this point, I was like maybe 27. I'm like, you've been my mom for 28 years. Even if I find them, that's not going to change that. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's when she finally was like, okay, and the next day she had them for me. Of course. The contents of the documents were fairly innocuous, but they were still tangible artifacts of Jen's adoption. She saw her adoption decree, papers signed by the lawyers, and her amended birth certificate. In 2001, Jen was part of a Yahoo listserv organized by a birth mother who was working hard to reunite families. 
She was well-versed on what a person needed to do to search in Pittsburgh, suggesting a specific intermediary Jen should request in the orphan's court who was sensitive to the needs of adoptees trying to gain access to their information. Jen mailed her intermediary request in April 2001. The intermediary also offered to help locate Jen's birth family after she received her information. June 18th was a phone call that changed my life. Um, And it was a Monday, and I was babysitting my niece, and thankfully she was napping. (laughs) (laughs) And she called me, and she said, "Um, I, I found them. And I was like, you know, really? And she's like, your grandparents have never moved. They still live in the same house. Wow. And um, that's when she told me, you know, and, and I'm like, and I asked her and I said, what, what, what was my mother's name? And um, she said, your mother's name is Deborah. And I swear to God, Damon, when she said it, what flashed in my mind was, oh, yeah. Like, as if I had known it. Yeah. Wow. Back in my memories my whole life. Mm. But because I hadn't heard it again since I was in utero, I, I had forgotten it. But as soon as she said it was Deborah, I was like, oh, my God, I, I knew that. Somehow, like, I felt like I knew it. That's unreal. And then um, she proceeded to tell me, she goes, unfortunately, she has passed away. And it was weird. Like, I, I recently drew a picture uh, trying to illustrate that moment. Um, because I was, I've been listening to all these disruption podcasts lately mm-hmm. and it's brought a lot of stuff to the surface Yeah, and I'm like, I have to figure, I have to express it in a way other than words. And I, I drew a picture of it and it's basically me standing with the phone in my ear on, in the middle. And on one side on the left is me jumping in the air for joy because all of a sudden after 30 years, I'm getting this information about myself that I never knew. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's amazing. But then to find out that she was dead, and on the right is an illustration of me crumpled on the ground in a fetal position mm-hmm. with all these no's written over top. And I, I I had a really hard time dealing with that end of it. Like, I put that aside. I shelved it, the fact that she was gone. And I, I kind of brushed it off in my phone call, and I said, well, to be honest, I had a feeling that she was because of what I had been thinking previously she had talked to my grandmother by that point in time that's how she knew she was deceased Mm. and um she goes your grandmother's waiting for you to call her so i hung up the phone with her and i called my grandmother and heard her for the first time Mm. and uh she said you know we've wondered about you at the time of that call jen pushed aside dealing with the knowledge that her birth mother was gone but she admits she ended up having a hard time dealing with the news when she faced things later. I asked Jen about that first conversation with her grandmother, but wait until you hear about the memories her grandmother triggered for Jen. It was in that conversation with my grandmother that I got, you know, like, it's not bad enough that your mother's deceased. <laughs> she says, you know, oh, we're talking about this, that. And she goes, what, what, what high school did you say you went to again? And I told her, I said, I went to Fox Chapel. And she pauses and she goes, I think your brother went to that high school. And I was like, wait, wait, uh, my brother, like, whoa, backpedal, you know? And she's like, yeah, your mom had a son, you know, she wasn't even done with high school when she was pregnant with him again. Mm -hmm. He was three years later. He had gotten expelled from his high school and, uh, his other grandparents were raising him and they paid, they wanted him to get his diploma and so they paid tuition for him to go to my high school so that he could get his diploma. The crazy thing is, she told me his name, and I immediately, I was like 98% sure I knew exactly who she was talking Are about. You kidding and then I have to remember, he's a couple years younger than me. But I had to like really think about it, and I was like, oh my gosh. And when I got off, the, he was the same age as my best friend. And when I got off the phone with my grandmother... I called my best friend because she was in his grade. And I'm like, do you remember a guy named Tom from your class? And she's like, yeah, I think so. And I said, what, what do you remember about him? And she goes, he was an asshole. And I was like, oh, no. Because then I knew I was right. Because mm. he singled me out and bullied me. 
Are you serious? Yeah, you were real, bullied, right? bullied in high school by your own biological brother that you didn't know was your brother? Yep. Holy crap. I mean, that I had the biggest problem with that. I was so focused on that. I wasn't even thinking about my mother being dead at that point. I was just like, this is crazy. I'm like, only me, you know? Only you. <laughs> like, what? Oh my God. You know? We didn't even have any classes together. There was this large area called a commons area, okay? Mm -hmm. yeah. And he was hanging out in there with his buddy. And, like, I would walk past him. And, I mean, I got bullied a lot in school, so I always walked around with my head low, just, like, leave me alone. I just wanted to get from one place to another without getting harassed. And he would follow me and call me names and pick on me and knock my book bag off my shoulder and all that crappy bully crap that they do, you know? Mm. And it's just, like, unreal that that's my brother. <laughs> that's crazy. And here's, okay, here's the other weird thing, okay? That year, I had a new friend, real nice Italian girl, and um, we had a class together in study hall and had started talking, and she didn't really know me all that well yet. And she goes, oh, I just saw your brother. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't have a brother. She goes, oh. And she goes, isn't Tommy seeming your brother? And I mean, this thought, this memory flashed into my head after I had this conversation with my grandmother. Because when somebody mentions that to you, you cling on to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. you never know. And she knew he was my brother back then because of our similarity. Oh, my God. Because we have the same height, same stature. She could tell. She goes, really? He looks just like you. And I'm like, no. I'm like, no, I hate him. He's <laughs> not my brother. Are you serious? You know, like, That's crazy. Yeah. She saw him and you. I she know. had the par impartiality to look at you both, and she immediately thought, "Wow, that's crazy." Yep, that's uh, I'm astonished, so that Jennifer. That is so crazy to me that that you were bullied by your own biological brother, and y'all didn't know you were connected. That's bananas to me. Younger brother yet? Younger. I, told him, I said, you know, if I knew you were my brother, then I'd have kicked your ass. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so. I was still interested to learn more about the rest of the conversation with her grandmother. Jen admitted she was an emotional mess during that conversation, and the news that her own brother had been her high school nemesis completely inhibited her ability to comprehend much else her grandmother said. So she doesn't have many details from that conversation. It was the things her grandmother said in later conversations that really stuck with her. One was that her grandmother had to tell Jen's uncle, her birth mother's brother, that she existed. Her grandmother told the story of taking Jen's mother to her own gynecologist, Dr. Bell, who completely laid out the plan for how to conceal the pregnancy. She would go to school with a doctor's note that released her from participating in gym class. They would tell everyone, including her uncle, that her mother had a fibroid tumor. Then he would take care of the rest. Yeah, so uh, it was a, I was a fibroid tumor, and she had surgery to remove the tumor over spring break, and it was back to life as normal, and nobody knew the wiser. Her best friend knew. So she tells me that she's got to tell my uncle first. I'm like, okay. She's like, I'll call him tonight. And then we made a plan to meet on Wednesday. Here's the crazy thing. When my parents bought the house we're in, they bought it because we were able to walk to all the schools. And then I had to get bused to junior high. So for two years, while I was getting bused to junior high, I was rolling right past the cemetery where my mother is and all the maternal family. Oh, my gosh. Wow. How did that hit right, you when you figured right. that out? Um, it was another, like, just another one of the mind-blowing aspects of it, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, my God, I went past her every day for two years. She died in 1982, so mm. she was actually, had recently been interred there. I was 11 when she died. Jen found out from the family how her mother died. Her uncle was having a hard time dealing with everything. She said he used to call her while he was drunk and mumble through stories of the past. Jen calls his intoxicated storytelling drunkenese. She pieced together from her uncle that Jen's mother struggled with her own problems, possibly stemming from having to give Jen up. She got married and had Jen's brother, Jen's future nemesis, but she struggled to raise him. His paternal grandparents took him into their home for his welfare. Then 
something tragic happened to end Jen's mother's life. What happened was she and the man she was dating at the time went on a camping trip, and they took my brother on this camping trip. When they came back, they dropped my brother off at his grandparents, and they had gone to a bar. Um, the last that witnesses remember seeing of them was that they had been in an argument at the bar and then left. And then the version of what I got from my grandmother was, well, she didn't make it home alive. Mm. The drunkenese conversations I got from my uncle was that he had been, quote-unquote, smacking her around. She had confided in her brother and told him this. Mm-hmm. And he feels pretty sure that this guy pushed her out of the truck while it was rolling down the road. And she hit her head on the pavement and died is what the bottom line is. So my uncle has a lot of guilt. I think he feels like if he had done something about it, when my mother told him that this guy was hitting her, that she might still be alive. And I think he lives with a lot of guilt because of that. Mm, mm, mm. I can only imagine. And then it must've been really hard for him when you came back then, because Whatever sort of healing, overcoming, time healing the wound thing had happened, basically your presence probably brought back a lot of those memories, right? Exactly. It ripped it right open again. And because I'm there and I was hoping to meet my mother and now I can't, he probably feels like if he'd stepped in, you know. Mm. So, I mean, it's one of those things. You can't change history and what are you going to do? You know, it, it sucks. I've accepted it. I struggle with it. And it's crazy because of how angry I was at her. But now that I know, like, I regret all that anger I had, but I understand it because I was a kid and kids don't really understand everything, you know? They have such a small world in reality. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the larger things are difficult to grasp. And so a lot of times we just deal with them with those primal emotions. And in this case, it was anger for me. But then as I learned that my mother didn't really have a say in it, um, you know, the doctor planned the whole thing out. It is what it is. I asked Jen how the meeting with her biological family was. She said she was a mess, but luckily her adopted mother was supportive. Her birth family lived less than 20 miles away. What happened when they met was a priceless moment they all shared. I was freaking terrified. <laughs> I was. I was a nervous wreck. And my adoptive mom, she had finally come around and was very supportive. Um, she actually drove me. She went with me. Oh, that's nice. To my meeting. Wow. My reunion. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad she was driving because I would have probably turned around 18 times. I, I, I was dying in the car the whole way there. She's driving, she's calm, cool, collected, and I'm like, oh, my God, oh my God, oh my God. You know, and I'm like, and I'm like, I can't do this. She goes, yes, you can, and you will. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I, don't, I mean, I was really a wreck. I was wrecked. And we get there, and my grandmother comes out, and I'm looking at her, and I'm like, holy Christ, that's going to be me when I'm 70. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. I, I saw it, I looked at her, I'm like, oh, my God. And she hugged me. And we hugged. And then her and my mom hugged. And they both thanked each other. Wow. Mm. She, um, my mom said, thank you so much. And my grandmother said, thank you so much for taking care of her for us. Wow. And I'll never forget that, you know. Oh and then the two were like peas in a pod. <laughs> <laughs> they got along really, 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 really well. Um, um, but they did. They like, you know, it was amazing. And then I walked into the kitchen and there's my uncle. And, you know, he hugged me so hard. It's like he's to break my back, you know. <laughs> Jen also met her grandfather, an elderly man who laughed about the amazing moments that were unfolding before him. As she looked around her family, she noticed they all have the same hands, and her grandmother had a lazy eye, just like her uncle. It was the same lazy eye she inherited and had surgery on when she was a child. Jen said the night before the reunion, she went to her adopted mother's house to pull pictures from her childhood to show to her grandmother. 
we're all sitting around the dining room table. My my grandmother's at the head of the table. My mom is next to her. I'm on the side closest to the kitchen doorway, and my uncle's just standing there, leaning against the, the wall, staring at me. Mm-hmm. Just, it was kind of creepy, but not, because I couldn't stop looking at him either. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, he was just staring at me. And I was really like, it was really hard to be present because there was just so much and like all these realizations are hitting you and I'm sitting here, I'm going, Oh my God, this is the house she was in when she was pregnant with me. And then I asked if I could use the bathroom at some point and I'm like, Oh my God, she was probably puking in this toilet when she had morning (laughs) sickness with me. And and it was just like, you know what I mean? It was, it was really a lot. It's overwhelming. All once. Yeah. And you got to remember, yeah. I just learned about them two days earlier. Right, right. And now I was meeting them. Jen said it was a lot to handle physically, emotionally, and psychologically. Her grandmother showed her pictures of her mother, but there was so much to process, so much incoming, it was hard to retain very much from those moments. But as her grandmother was talking about Jen's mother, she overheard some facts that tripped her out because... Her grandmother was holding up the mirror of nature versus nurture. But it was so crazy because, like, she and my mom were looking at these pictures. My uncle and I are having this thing where we're, like, staring at each other. And I have this bag of pictures, you know. Mm-hmm. And my grandma is going to my mom. I hear her out of, behind me. And she goes, oh, here's a picture of Deborah with her rabbit. And here's a picture of Deborah with her guinea pigs, and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And it just so happens, the pictures I pulled, I'm an animal lover. Mm-hmm. My mother was too. And I'm like, okay, here's a picture of me with my rabbit. <laughs> 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 like, here's a picture of me with my guinea pig. Oh, here's a picture of me with my hamsters. I, I love horses. And um, it was crazy to find out my mother had a horse up until she got married. Wow. Um, in my support group, we have a lot of conversations about nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. And it's insane how powerful that nature end of it is. I mean, it really is. It is so strong. At the end of the reunion, Jen and her uncle had a moment in the kitchen where they had a big hug. And he expressed his disbelief that she existed because he hadn't known about her. Her grandfather had some wisdom for Jen, too. My own grandfather warned me about my brother. I I told him my experience with him in school. And he said, listen, he goes, when you meet him, don't trust him. He said, keep him at arm's length and just don't trust him. Don't let him in completely. Jen went back to her grandmother's house that Saturday to meet her brother. She said it was bizarre to see confirmation that the bully she thought was her brother was really him. Jen said it was so weird because she also wanted a younger brother and... And he said he wanted an older sister. We had only talked about Jen's maternal connection up to that point, so we switched over to what she learned about her biological father. She let me know that in the era of her birth in Pennsylvania, there was no requirement to include a birth father's name on a birth certificate. So her birth mother put a different man's name on the birth certificate. At that point, the intermediary hadn't been in touch with the man, so she could only share his first name, Robert. When Jen shared that name, Her grandmother thought she might know who the alleged father was. Next, she shared who she thought her father was with her brother, and he knows the man. They go to the same bar every Thursday night for karaoke night, so they hatch a plan for Jennifer to meet him face-to-face. When it came time to execute the plan... I couldn't, because I went there with the intention of talking to this man. He comes in the door, my brother goes, Ken, and I'm like... And I looked, and he's, like, pointing over his head at this guy that's walking in. And I'm like, as soon as that happened, I start shaking like a leaf. And I'm like, I can't do this. And I went into the back room, and I called my friend that runs that adoption group. She's a birth mother. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he just walked in. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't. She's like, yes, you can, and you will. She goes, that's what you're here to do. Well, and she gave me the pep talk, you know. Right, right. I'm like, okay, okay, fine. So he's sitting at the bar talking to some other guy, and I'm like, this is so awkward. I'm like, imagine you're at a bar, and somebody comes up and tells you, you're a kid, right? Right. And I'm like trying to put myself in this position, and I'm like, I know you don't know me. I said, but can I talk to you for a couple minutes? And he goes, yeah, sure. And I'm like, told him who I am. And I said, and um, Deborah Bauer 
was my birth mother. And he's just looking at me. Now he's looking at me even different. And I said, well, Deborah put you down on my birth certificate as my dad. And he was very cool, man. He was so cool about it. And he was like, what year were you born? And I said, 71. He goes, I'm really sorry to tell you this. He goes, but I'm not your dad. He goes, I'm not saying I was never with your mom. He goes, but it was well after 1971. Mm. He says, but I do know who your dad is. Really? And I said, you do? And he goes, yeah. He goes, and I'm really sorry to tell you, he goes, but he's dead too. Oh, man. I was just like, holy crap, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I said, so who was my dad? And he says, well, your dad's name was Tom Iceman. Wow. And I'm like, why did she lie on the birth certificate? He goes, I don't really know. He goes, but as far as I can tell, he goes, I don't think your grandmother liked him very much. She said, you know, she couldn't stay away from him. It was like one of these offhand, like, side comments that was kind of, like, muttered, but I caught it. And he said, even after she was married. Tom had a brother named Tony. Robert offered to reach out to try to connect with Tony's ex-wife, whom he was still friends with. Robert called Jen back a short time later with contact information for the woman, named Darlene. Darlene was able to put Jennifer in touch with her paternal grandmother, who was living with her Uncle Tony in Florida at the time. Her grandmother began to tell Jen a bit about her birth father, who used to be a mechanic. Her grandmother said she hosted a bluegrass festival in her trailer park every year, and Jen's dad was the drummer. Jen found that ironic because her partner is also a mechanic and a musician. Her grandmother also told Jen that she had a paternal half-brother 10 years younger than herself, and she shared more of her dad's history. So I got in contact with my grandmother. She was ecstatic to learn of my existence. She didn't know anything about me. Wow. She's the one, and then she told me about the history of my dad and told me that my dad was having a lot of health problems. He had been in a really, they lived in Emporium, PA at a point, and he had been in a really bad car accident where he got thrown from the car and he had road rash over a huge part of his body. Like he was, he was messed up. Mm -hmm. Plus he was an alcoholic and he was a diabetic. Um, so he really wasn't taking care of himself. You know, with diabetes, you can't drink. They'd moved down to Florida. I don't know what all problems he was having or why he was in the hospital to begin with, but he had been in the hospital for 104 days. Mm. Was starting to take a turn for the better and doing much better. And then he had a massive heart attack and died at 35. Oh. Her father had been remarried, then divorced, leaving his then four-year-old son with his mother. So her brother wouldn't have any good memories of his father, only fighting and drug use. So Jen was curious about her paternal brother named Tom. As an aside, that's two brothers named Tom, and both of their dads were named Tom. So they're actually both Tom Juniors. Anyway... Jen only knew her brother's first name and age, so that began her hunt for him online. She said she found him in the most obscure way. She found an online art gallery where he left a comment on a piece of art and his email address. Jen emailed him, explaining she was looking for a specific Tom Iceman, outlining that this person's father had that same name, and she listed other relatives too. When he confirmed he was the same man she was looking for, she opened the floodgates detailing her journey and explaining they were siblings. He emails me back and he's like, cool. And I was like, all right. So the siblings are now in touch online. He lives in North Dakota where he works as an archaeologist. Of course, Jen wanted to talk about her brother with her birth mother's family, but she can't because they're not speaking to her anymore. My grandmother had, uh, I think she had a really hard time with the fact that me being around kind of like put a spotlight on the fact that she lied to everybody for 30 years. And she kind of just wanted to like, okay, you're adopted, blah, blah, let's move on from here, I think is what she wanted. Mm -hmm. But you know, as well as I do, when you don't have your history, you have a lot of questions. Right. So, I mean, we, I mean, we kind of had a honeymoon phase. But my whole mentality about it is I don't want to, like, assume, like, now I'm going to be part of your family, you know, and I'm going to be here for everything. I, I didn't, I was trying not to inject myself into that. 
And I definitely didn't want to come across as like wanting something from you guys. Mm. You know, I'm not here because I want money or be added to your will. You know, I'm here because I want to know where I come from. That's all I'm after. Mm-hmm. If a relationship happens, then that's fantastic. But that was my initial thing. So my and my grandmother said things to me that were really hard, like, because I think she didn't want to really answer my questions. Like, I asked her, I'm like, why was I giving up? And she said, well, I didn't want to raise another baby. You know, meanwhile, she was a housewife. Mm-hmm. You know, she, there was, she could have, but she didn't want to. And then the other end of it was the shame aspect, you know, of what will the neighbors think? Right. You know, and so like when I would answer questions, sometimes they were really curt. And she like the one time she told me, you know, that when she wanted to meet me, um, she wanted to know if I looked like Deborah, and she was disappointed because I don't. Hmm. Again, I think that points back to her not liking my dad because I think I look more like him. Ah, uh, yeah. Jen said there was a lot of comments and conversations like that with her grandmother. Jen ended up experiencing secondary rejection after she made a misstep at her grandfather's funeral. She talks about what happened and what went wrong. My grandfather passed away suddenly in 2004. Um, it was the day after Father's Day, which was really a kicker. Yeah. I didn't go that Father's Day to see him. I was like, I'll go the next day. Because I didn't try to, you know, I didn't try to be there on holidays. Mm-hmm. And then my uncle called to tell me, you know, that he had passed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I was included in his obituary. Really? Which was huge for me that was a really huge thing for me I'll bet so I was trying to be as supportive as I could I went there and my uncle had to go take care of things and he was afraid of his mom being by herself because she was a wreck so I went and stayed with her for like the whole day while he was doing funeral arrangements and stuff and then I was there for the viewing I was there with the family I mean I wasn't aside is like I was there. I was part of the family. Mm-hmm. It was my grandmother, my uncle, me, and my brother. It's the receiving line by wow. the casket. And um, it was really something to be included. But I made a really horrible mistake that day because I don't know why. You know the guest book they have for funerals? Yeah. I don't know if you ever do things in a thoughtless way, but <laughs> I do. <laughs> And for some reason, instead of writing just my name in the guest book, I I wrote my birth name, which was just, it was Baby Girl Bauer. And Mm -hmm. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I did that. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother was upset. And I was the first person to sign the book. And I said, look, I'll tear the page out. I'll tear it out. It doesn't have to be in there. Nobody else had signed yet. And she said, no, no, just leave it. So on Friday was the funeral, and on Saturday I got a phone call from my brother. It says, Graham says she wants you to stay away for a while. Hmm. And so she was really uncomfortable with the whole thing, and I couldn't accept him calling me and saying that. So I had to call her. And she literally told me, she goes, you know, you focus too much on being adopted, Hmm. and you ask too many questions. And I'm like, but I am adopted. It is who I am. I had no information about myself for 30 years. And you think I'm not going to ask questions? That was in 2004. When her grandmother broke off contact, so did her uncle. Jen suspects he didn't want to be in the middle. And she lost touch with her brother, too. She said the whole thing was really painful. In 2010, she was pregnant. So she wanted to try to reconnect with the family. When I was pregnant with my son, I'm thinking, this is your great grandson, mm-hmm. you know, and your great grandnephew. And you guys have missed out on me. Don't miss out on him. And I wrote them two letters. I was very afraid of my grandmother intercepting. So I sent my uncle's letter. I sent them with no return address. And I sent his a few days before hers so that she wouldn't get hers and recognize his. And then, you know what I mean? Yep. And I sent a picture of the sonogram in there and told them what was going on and how I was so sorry about that mistake I made. And nothing. No response. Nothing. And um, I'm sorry. Apparently, my grandmother had developed dementia. And so there was no resolution with her. 
A few years ago, friends of Jen's got married near her uncle's house, so she dropped in on him. He was sitting in his woods down by the creek, and I came down and sat opposite the table from him, and he just looked at me and goes, well, there you are. And I said, here I am. I said, where have you been? And he told me, you know, dealing with mom, and he told me all these stories about how, like, he didn't realize about her dementia until she totaled the car in the front yard mm. and was unloading groceries like nothing happened. And he's like, Mom, what happened to the car? She's like, what do you mean? And she had to get put, he had to put her in a, in a, in a nursing home because yeah. he couldn't take care of her and work and everything, you know. And he's telling me how he had to deal with this all on his own. And I said, no, you didn't have to, you know. Yep. He said, I've been here all along. I, I would have helped. And he didn't really have much to say about that. He didn't cuss me out. He wasn't mad at me for coming. In fact, on the contrary, he went up to his house and went and got eggs and bacon and stuff and had me cook this breakfast over a fire, <laughs> you know, and he got to meet Derek. Derek was a year and a half at the point. And it was really great. And I thought things would maybe turn around and be better, but he has not contacted me again ever since. Oh. I call, I text, nothing. Jen said she lost touch with Darlene. So she just tried to stay in touch with how her birth mother's family was doing as best she could. From a distance, cast out from the family, she learned of her maternal grandmother's funeral. Her uncle had not bothered to reach out to let her know, and this time she wasn't included in the obituary. She said she felt like she had a lot of unresolved issues, and she felt like she could benefit from therapy. We closed on that note. I was just going to say it's crazy how these things can unfold in such a positive light and turn so dark and unnecessarily too you know we as adoptees we didn't ask for this this was not a decision of our own this was something that we were normally i would say thrust into but quite literally thrust out of and you know you sometimes come back with your hat in your hand like hi it's me i'm back and you're hopeful for the acceptance and then when you're rejected it's like i didn't I didn't ask for any of this. That must be so hard. Right. I'm sorry. I think no matter how hard it is, everybody should search because it's really important to get that, that history. It's personal history and you're entitled to it. Yeah. And like you said, we didn't ask for this, you know, but we have to live it and we have to live it every single day because that primal wound it affects almost every interaction, you know, like you always want to be accepted. You're always, I, my entire life have had huge struggles dealing with not being included in things yeah, and feeling right. like I was rejected. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, that's, and I didn't know why. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you unfortunately do have some unresolved things that you're, you're left alone to work through. And a therapist would be a great way to get back to a solid space. Right. It's it's really hard to find a therapist, though, that understands that adoption thing. Because I did mm-hmm. start going to a therapist and talking to her, but she, they, don't, they don't understand, you know. Like, I wish there was more adoptees out there that would become therapists, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, because... I would bring up this adoption stuff and she would just kind of like, "Mm," you know, like she didn't understand. I have a very supportive and understanding partner. He is not adopted, but he listens and he understands and he gets angry about it. And he's just, you know, we've been together. Actually, I met him three months after my reunion. So he's been with me through all of it, the oh, rejection wow. and, and everything. So well, he's had like to deal guy. with all the aftermath baggage. Well, that's a strong measure of a good guy. Then if he's able to endure, you know, what you like, if you can experience what he's going to be like in some of the most challenging situations you're going to go through, you've got a measure of, of who you've, who you're dealing with. So that's really cool. I'm sorry yeah. for, for all of the secondary rejection. I mean, it sounded like it was going to be so cool, but unfortunately you know, things took a turn. I'm glad you were there for the funeral, though, even though that seems to have been the event that that changed things. That's it. That's a that's mm-hmm. an important thing to have ever been included in and to be able to stand in the line and be in the obituary is really important for your own closure. Thank you for sharing your story. This has been really unbelievable. You 
I was in tears with you at many different points and, and I feel, you know, <laughs> where you're coming from. So thank you for your bravery and sharing your story. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, you know, I'm glad you're out there doing this and, you know, hopefully you and Haley from Adoptees On will mm-hmm. get me motivated to get mine off the ground yeah. more, you know, because our stories do need to be out there. I don't think people realize how much adoption actually affects the adoptees. Yeah. Well, Jen, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you for doing this yeah. and hearing my story. I It's good to talk about it. Thank you. And I'll keep listening. (laughs) We're here and we're going to be listening to yours too. So get yourself on the mic and ready to go. Yeah, I will. I will. Take care, Jed. Talk to you later. Thank you very much, Damon. Of course. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Hey, it's me. When Jen said she was a petite blonde raised in a Latino family, her story presented me with an interracial mix of adoption that I hadn't experienced before. And I was fascinated. She talked about her mother, pointing out to her that she was born to another woman, her tantrum in the moment, and subsequent teenaged anger that were demonstrative of the effects that adoption can have on a person. In high school, we've all had experiences with bullying, whether you were bullied yourself, took part in the aggression, or simply witnessed it from afar. But can you even imagine what it would be like to learn your tormentor was a biological brother of yours? Most people are so excited to escape that torture, but now she knows she's related to him for life. I loved hearing that her maternal family included her in her grandfather's funeral, but it was sad to hear that what I thought was an easily corrected mistake was used against Jen to shut her out of the family. We all make mistakes, act out of impulse, and wish we could take something back. Adoptees walk on eggshells for a long time, trying to figure out when it's the right time to ask a burning question and trying to avoid costly missteps. I wish Jen had been granted forgiveness, but now with her grandmother's passing, that door is closed. If you'd like to hear more from Jen, you can check out her podcast, Conversations About Adoption. Another show that has been an inspiration to us both is Haley Radke's Adoptees On. I'm Damon Davis. And I hope you'll find something in Jennifer's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If you would like to share your story of locating and connecting to your biological family, visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can also find the show at facebook.com slash really, or follow me on Twitter at really. And please, if you like the show, you can subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, take a moment to share a rating or leave a comment. Those ratings can help others find the podcast, too. In the words of a friend of mine that I worked with, he said, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, even if it doesn't know where the tree is.